Welcome to Inside the Writer's Head. In this podcast, you can expect conversations with writers and other lovers of books, journalism, libraries, and the literary arts. I am Paula Hansel, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2022 Writer-in-Residence. I'm excited to have a conversation today with my fellow Poet Laureate Emeritus, Manuel Eris, and with the prolific and award-winning poet Sarah Moore Wagner on demystifying the mysterious process of developing a poetry manuscript. So let me introduce my guests. Poet and teacher Manuel Eris is the immediate past Cincinnati Poet Laureate serving from 2018 through 2021. Born in Mexico, Manuel received multiple awards, including the Merida National Award of Poetry and the Rodolfo Figueroa Regional Award of Poetry for his five collections in Spanish prior to publishing his first bilingual collection, Translating Silence, in 2018, which won twice in the International Latino Book Awards in Los Angeles, California. Manuel's newest book, The Parting Present, from Dos Madres Press, is a bilingual collection of poetry that explores fatherhood, time, and poetics. Welcome, Manuel, and will you please also say the Spanish names of your books? Yes. <laughs> well, hello, uh, Polera. Uh, the name of this last book that I, that I have in my hands is Lo Que Se Irá, mm. in Espanol. And for translating silence is traducir el silencio. Thank you. And I know for folks who, who know Manuel that you're looking forward to him reading poems also both in English and, and, and in Spanish as well. Sarah Moore Wagner, our other guest, is 2022 Ohio Arts Council Individual Excellence Award recipient, a 2021 National Poetry Series finalist, and the recipient of a 2019 Sustainable Arts Foundation Award. She is also enjoying a three book year. Her debut full length poetry collection, Swan Wife, won the 2021 Cider Press Review Editor's Prize and will be published in August of this year. Her second full length book, Hillbilly Madonna, won the 2020 Driftwood Press Manuscript Prize and will be published in October. She's also the author of two chapbooks, Tumbling After, which came out in March from Redbird Chapbooks and Hooked Through in 2017. Sarah's work explores themes of family, girlhood, marriage, motherhood, and more, sometimes using fairy tales and other myths as tools to dig deep into the stories of our lives. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Glad you're here. And since you're, the title of your book is Hillbilly Madonna as a Hillbilly Myself, I didn't need you to read that in Hillbilly for me. <laughs> so I really appreciate both of you being here. Um, and I will just say, I am Paulette Hansel, uh, as I have said. And before I had the honor of being your writer in residence, I served as Cincinnati's first poet laureate from 2016 to 2018. So just before Manuel. I often teach a class on developing the poetry manuscript, and I've been known to make a few books myself. I have nine books of poetry, including Palindrome from Dos Madres Press, which was the winner of the Weatherford Award for Appalachian Poetry. My newest books are Heartbreak Tree, which came out from Madville Publishing this spring, and Friend, which is epistolary or letter poems from the early days of the pandemic, uh, which came out from Dos Madres Press in 2020. 
So let's talk about these books and how they came into being. Um, and, and Sarah and Manuel, I have to say that this is a topic that is forever fascinating to me because my experience is that making a book can only work as a pairing of conscious and unconscious impulses, uh, sort of like making poetry itself. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of my favorite quotes about uh, developing a manuscript is attributed to Robert Frost. Uh, we don't know if he really said it, but it's been attributed to him. If you have a book of 24 poems, the book itself should be the 25th. So I'm curious to hear from each of you about your process. And Manuel, I want to start with you and um, ask you to read us a poem of choice from your newest book and tell us a little bit about your books of poetry and how you developed them. Thank you, Pauletta. This is this is a very difficult question to respond, but before before attempting to it. I'm going to read uh, this poem called uh, The Language of the House, which is a, a poem which I talk about the experience of being an immigrant father. The Language of the House. Sometimes I am afraid that you will talk in the language in which I cannot dream. I almost always wish that you leave first the language of the house the one in which I lull you to sleep, in which I imagine you telling me your things. You still do not know that there is a different music outside. Lately, I have been afraid of the months because you were born here, in this place, in this language in which I am a foreigner, and I want to live in your world, in the language that you will have within your words. I am afraid that you will also know the impossibility of belonging, but you will build your own homeland like anyone else. If someone asks you, where are you from? Tell them that you came from your father's heart, a heart that will learn any language. Mm. To talk with you. Mm. Thank you, Manuel. Um, no, I'm gonna read the Spanish version of the poem, mm -hmm. which is the original version of the poem. El idioma de la casa. A veces tengo miedo de que hables el idioma en el que no puedo soñar. Casi siempre deseo que primero vivas el idioma de la casa, el mismo en que te arrullo, en el que te imagino platicándome tus cosas. Todavía no distingues que afuera hay otra música. Últimamente tengo miedo de los meses porque tú has nacido aquí, en este sitio, en este idioma en el que soy un extranjero, Y yo quiero vivir dentro de tu mundo, del idioma que tendrás, de tus palabras. Me da miedo que conozcas la imposibilidad de pertenecer, pero te harás tu patria, como cualquiera. Si te preguntan de dónde eres, diles que has venido del corazón de tu padre, de un corazón que aprendería cualquier idioma para hablar contigo. Thank you. And now the question of how write it, how to write a book. This question has had different answers for me in different moments of my life. I started writing books without the intention of writing books. I was writing poems. And then after a number of poems about many things, I had what I considered that was a book. Then I met other writers that were more professional in their in their craft, and I started paying attention to how they and and, and I discovered the idea of uh, what in what in Mexico they call a unitary book, 
uh, one book with one single subject from the beginning to the end and having some sort of an access uh, in a certain uh, choice of words that you repeat throughout the book and, and, and ideas that go throughout the book. And, and, and I started doing that. Um, and then this book was a result of trying to get away from that tendency. Um, because I also, I especially, and, and, and for this, maybe I have to talk a little bit about the literary field in Mexico. Mexico is a country that has maybe an excess of a government sponsorships for poetry. Um, it's, it's almost the only agency that publishes uh, every city, every state, every university. And then there are national printing houses, scholarships, fellowships, awards, etc. And a lot of them work by project. So instead of submitting a book that you have already written, you submit the project of a book where you tell them what are you going to write about, more or less how many poems are, are going to be in the book. So you plan the book before. So they, they give you the money to write the book that you say that you will write. Wow. And the result of this is that a lot of people is writing books that look almost the same. It's books that are about 60 pages because that's the minimum length that they're going to accept. Um, and a lot of people is making books with one single subject. So you can have a, uh, you know, this, this, this project. Um, and I wanted to drift away from it. And mm -hmm. I had the freedom of drifting away from it because I believe in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I am not there looking only into that literary field. So mm -hmm. I live in between two different worlds. Another yeah. difference, for example, and I want to and I want to talk about this because it is not only about aesthetics. We we live and we make our writing in a world that has to do with the editorial uh, world, with uh, printing houses, with the critic, with our friends who are our influences. So there is a literary and the non-literary. And for example, here in the United States the path to write a book is to publish everything in your book before the book is done. Mm -hmm. You're looking for journals and you're submitting everything and you get your heart broken every 10 days for rejections. In Mexico, you hide everything that you're writing <laughs> until you publish the book. And then you publish and you say, from this book that has already been published. And you, so every time that I write a book, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> because if I start publishing it in the United States, they can I cannot submit it to a contest in Mexico because in order to submit, it has to be completely unedited. That's amazing. Those differences, I had no idea. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have to decide, like, for example, I knew with the poems of the parting present, I knew that I was going to publish this book without submitting it to any contest in Mexico mm -hmm. because I already read this book. I already read these poems in public events. I already published some of these poems. So I knew that this book was not a book that I would publish in yeah. Mexico as a new book. Yeah. And, and every time that I write something, I am presented with that dilemma. Yeah. Like, do I want to go the, the, the American path and publish everything before mm -hmm. or go the Mexican way and publish nothing and submit it and hoping to win an award and then 
that award that is giving is opening the the path for mm -hmm. the journals yeah so it's yeah. it's it's a it's a constant negotiation with many things writing is free mm -hmm. for you for the I, i'm talking free as as in freedom not as in money mm -hmm. but also um writing you have a complete agency but then the world of publishing that is that is a different kind of negotiation well, that's very interesting. Thank you for, for sharing that. And, and I know we want to get back to the writing of the book, but let's go ahead and hear from Sarah first, and then we'll we'll circle back to Manuel to talk a little bit more about how the poems uh, come to the page. So Sarah, will you share with us your process? But also please do read a poem from, from any of your three books. You have, <laughs> you have some to choose from there, don't you? Yeah. Um... I think I'll read the title poem um, from Hillbilly Madonna just to kind of start. And then I'll talk a little bit about process. Though so it's so wild to me to hear you talk about that in Mexico because both mm -hmm. these books, almost every single poem was already published before I even started sending them out. Hillbilly Madonna's. The moon is suddenly there in the dusty blue sky, just like the smooth flat stones we throw into the pond, sitting in tall grass, cattails fat and brown as our legs, welted pink with mosquito bites. Sweat bees circle your head like a halo. You blow on a tight reed, taut between your two thumbs, whistle so loud the chiggers rise up from the earth in a cloud. No one told us how to live as a girl would, to clean the dirt from our toenails, shave the holler from our limbs like scraping paint off an old truck. It's so hard to tell a star from a lightning bug when the evening sets. You have to really look at it to see it blinking through the blackness. I lose your face just like that, the way the bulb of an insect can go light dark as you trace it through the sky. Let's play that game where we lie so still this landscape forgets us. The crawdads and toads bloom into the night until our bodies become more than vessels carrying in the next dawn and the next. Until we are this valley, budding and brilliant hillscapes, established and settling stones. Until our father comes shouting, headlights blazing down the dirt alley, lifts us into the truck bed, the indentations smoothing out the outline of the land from our backs. One day we will be mothers, I say, as the sky races above us and we bump back and forth into the next stage of our lives. Summer, even now, gone. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks. So um, for my books, it, it kind of like Manuel, I was just writing and writing without the idea of a book. Um, and I, I compiled them all into one giant Thing. And then um, I kind of sent that out and, and I realized looking at it again, this is not just one thing. I'm trying to talk about girlhood. I'm trying to talk about, you know, where, where my father comes from in Appalachia. I'm trying to talk about being a wife, all of these different subjects in one book. And it was just too much. Um, it covered too much time. So then I really said to myself, I'm gonna split these into two books, um, which eventually became Hillbilly Madonna and Swan Wife. And then I took the time to kind of develop the themes of each and write more poems to make them more cohesive. And then with Swan Wife, I had this alternate ending. So um, I had the uh, this kind of hopeful ending um, and then I had 
a previous marriage, which had ended. And so this kind of breaking apart of everything, I had all these angry housewife poems basically, and it could go either way. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought, why not end it in this, this hopeful way and take those other poems and put them into a chat book, which became tumbling after. Mm -hmm. So they all kind of came from the same little seed, but became very different things. Um, and although all three of them do end kind of hopefully, which I've noticed recently. So, and I'm going to, I want to ask Manuel this too, but Sarah, what, uh, what's the time frame that you're talking about from, uh, from beginning these poems to now, since we know that you've got books coming out at different times now? Yeah, it's been about five years okay. because, well, when I first started sending out the first giant draft of, of Swan Wife, I gave myself a five-year plan, especially with the contests. I said, I'm going to do this for five years. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to revise my plan. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like around year three and a half that the book <laughs> got accepted. But I was sending out the poems probably before that mm -hmm. individually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and Manuel, with the parting present, those of us who have had the pleasure of reading it know that there is a fairly specific timeline with that, with yes. that because it's about the, your daughter. So can you, will yes. you talk about that timeline? Yes. Um, I started writing these poems in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, a, my daughter was born in April of 2018. So before that, you know, in 2017, early 2017, there, there are some poems that that are not part of that time frame. There are the poems that where I talk about poetry and some poems where I talk about my grandmother. Those were written in years prior um, as part of these poems that talk about everything because I was planning to go back to my origins and just make a book without a theme. The fact that my daughter was born and I started writing about that changed my plans. I ended up with a book that was a, uh, that had a central theme uh, despite my <laughs> intentions of writing a book that didn't have any theme. Um, but it was what it was. The, the theme happened organically in this mm -hmm. case. Yeah. Um, but yes, these are these are poems that are, I don't know, maybe from 2016 to 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit of 2019 because at the end she's already able to stand on her feet mm -hmm. and wave at her window in the last poem mm -hmm. so she is she, she, she she's a year old something like that yeah. so there is um that is also something that happened organically i started i i realized um that in the poems you could see her growth and then i i decided to to do that consciously and to um to choose the order of the poems as that sort of timeline, um, where the first poem is the notice that, that we know that this baby might be a mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And then in the last one, she's standing and, and there is poems yeah. about pregnancy and about birth and about the, the first words and etc. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in general, I am, I think that I am a very slow writer. Um, not because I don't write a lot, but because it takes me a very long time to decide this this poem is something mm -hmm. that I'm going to show my friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that is, is, I am constantly writing, but I am constantly hiding what I wrote right. um, until I, I get courage enough um, to, to, to show it. Um, 
between my first and my second book, seven years happened. Wow. Then five years. It, it has been becoming shorter, but but it's still a three-year period between one year and the other, which is the shortest. Um, and and it, every book has had a, a different process. There, mm -hmm. there have been books that I have wrestled a lot writing mm -hmm. and there have been at least sections of books that suddenly happen. I'm thinking about this, Mm -hmm. these ideas I don't know how to call them um, but I don't have the melody in my head and then suddenly the melody hits and I can sit down and write a lot of pages in 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 a, sh in a short amount of time but for that amount of time to happen it took years of some sort of spiritual preparation so we, we, we should not think that I wrote those pages in eight hours. Right. It took me a month or three or four to get to those eight hours. Not not and to mention the life that gets lived absolutely, in, order to, in absolutely. order to create. To absolutely. Create the there, there, is, there is this yeah. idea that the time that it took you to write a poem is your age. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I hear that with, with Sarah's process as well as she was dealing as 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 we have both been dealing with autobiographical material so i'm going to go ahead and chime in about my own uh two most recent books as well heartbreak tree and friend which were written roughly over the same uh time period for me um really 2019 to 2000 2021 with these two books, but very different in terms of process. So Friend, which is chapbook length, more or less, was written as poems to other poets who were also writing me poems during the early days of the, the pandemic. And so we're looking, you know, we all we all know what those hour, what those what those dates are. Feels like uh, feels like we can speak it by hour hour to hour sometime. But from you know from early in March of 2020, um, roughly to May of 2020, with a little postscript, a couple of poems as postscripts in June 2020, and then Heartbreak Tree. Uh, was also being developed in much of the same period, although it, I began working with those with um, with the bulk of those poems in 2019. But I want to read a poem that actually made it into both collections um, with with different titles. In Friend, the poem is called March 24th, 2020, which is the date that I wrote it. And in Heartbreak Tree, it's called Story. And I'll talk a little bit more about, about why that title. Have I ever told you my mother canceled her newspaper subscription when for the second time that ice-swathed winter delivery was delayed? I think about this while my husband labors to repair on my computer those things invisible I never knew I needed till they failed me. And how I wake at night, the chatter at the open window of my brain. She did, he said, they never will. My father held his grudges close. Poor substitute for love, his alcoholic father never turned his way. When hurt is all that's handed down, you learn to claim it. And so I see you, friend, inside the poem you sent me. 
kneeling in your spring damp garden, gloves on your quick hands as you pull leaves from last year's Lenten roses, looking for the middle way my family never found, to let it live what's tender green inside, to let them go those jagged bits of what's already gone. So the, the process for Friend in terms of creating the book is very different than any book that I've ever, ever written and maybe that I ever will again, um, because the it is, it's put together roughly in the same order that the poems were written. So they're, because they were letter poems, they, it, it had its own arc in that sense. And with uh, similar themes and images that were already built in because it was written in such a short period of time and was written about the few things that, that you know, we, were, we were doing in those early days of, of the pandemic. Um, and in terms of then developing it, um, the, it as, a, as a book, in addition to the regular revision process and choosing what goes in and what doesn't, you know, what's making the cut, um, I really only worked on the form, and I'm, by form I'm talking about the physical form on the page of the uh, of the poems in order to have there be a certain similarity, not in length, but in in uh, in certain other things within the book, and then also to make sure that that epistolary marker friend was present enough in each of the poems. And most of the time it already was, but but there were a few longer poems, especially where it, where I felt like I needed to to remind the reader that we were that these were were voices that were speaking directly to each other. So in Heartbreak Tree, which actually came out almost exactly two years after the poem that I just read, uh, was written, it was a totally different kettle of fish in terms, in terms of process. So I'll, I'll also say in neither case was I consciously working on a book when I began. So the poems were written um, in very organically to, to use the, the term that Manuel also used as poems based on what was rising up from me at the time. But the poems that became really the spine of Heartbreak Tree were written in the summer of 2019, when I just started working uh, with the poet Rebecca Gale Howell as my writing coach. And I was doing a pretty intensive course of study with her, almost like a second MFA, reading a wide range of poetry, including documentary poetry, which was using both research and external text in, in lyric and narrative poems. And I'd also just finished doing a series of writing workshops in my hometown. Um, and I loved doing those workshops and I loved those students who were part of my, uh, uh, were students in the high school that I originally intended. But those visits gave me a really close up and very non-nostalgic view of the place that I was raised in. And at the same time, sort of within that, within that same three month period, um, I stumbled upon an interview that had been conducted with my sister and I about the Appalachian Writers Movement. So I, am, I turned 60 that year. This interview was when I was 30, looking back at when I was 15. Um, and so many of the poems in part one of Heartbreak Tree that were written that summer were initiated with a word list from that interview. 
And so words like trapped and crack and voice and history and road. And the, the, poem, the, the poems in the book really do move on from some of those initial themes, but I think those images do inform much of the collection. Um, and I also began that summer with two sequences of poems that are interspersed throughout the book, one with poems each called story. And I read, read one of those uh, to you initially and the other called letter to myself 15. And these were also written organically, not with an idea of, oh gosh, I have a book, I better write a sequence of poems that all have the same name or, you know, or anything like that. But certainly, although they came out of that poem making impulse, they did their place, the placement of those poems were related to the book making impulse in terms of, of providing a spine in a way or touch points. For the uh, for the reader as 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 we move through the poems, and I do think, and I'll be interested to hear from both of you on this as well. There does come a time in the creation of a manuscript when that bookmaking impulse becomes the the engine rather than perhaps the caboose. When uh, when we're really sort of looking at both in perhaps in writing of poems, but definitely in placement of poems we're looking to this question of what will hold the book together as a whole. I'll also add, and then turn it over to you guys, because I want to hear, I want to hear your thoughts on this as well, but I'll add that I taught poetic sequences to my poetry class fairly late in the process of making the book. So after the manuscript had already been accepted, but before it went to the printer. And so some of this sort of sequencing aspect came fairly late in the process. And I'm very uh, grateful to my very patient publisher for allowing me to, to add in some poems that I think really did help with the, uh, with the sense of continuity. Uh, with, with Heartbreak Tree especially. I do teach a manuscript class and I use a book called Ordering the Storm by Susan Grimm um, in, in that book and one which has essays from 11 different poets on the creation of a manuscript. And one of my favorites is from Becky and Fritz Goldberg who says, obsessions are as good a place to start as any. They may not always be topics. Sometimes they're smaller elements, certain words appear, certain images. So I've given you my obsessions and I'm just wondering, does this resonate with either of you? And Sarah, why don't you start us off um, with, this, with this topic and then Manuel. Sure, um, yeah, obsession I think is a big part of my writing. I, I consider myself kind of an obsessive <laughs> person. So um, usually I'll get, I'll get really into one topic or one idea. Um, and in the case of Swan Wife, it was kind of an obsession with tropes, um, which is why I also chose to order it in Joseph Campbell's Hero Cycle. So I wanted to turn things on their head. And I've always been obsessed with fairy tales and mythology. I write a lot of persona poems. And so for the case of Swan Wife, which is really just about the first year of marriage, about um, you know learning to find yourself within these this role that's that can be oppressive and restrictive, um, and then being able to to live a, a free and not restricted life as a wife, I, I thought it would be kind of you know transgressive in some ways to to set it in that hero cycle, which is traditionally reserved for men and these kind of great 
great journeys. So um, I also wanted to address other cliches and tropes, things like ball and chain when we talk about marriage and getting your body back after you have a baby, um, all of that kind of stuff. And and I also, I have a lot of persona poems in here too that I, that I, I call complex poems, kind of like Oedipus complex, um, things from Penelope to Anastasia Romanoff, all of those kind of things. And I have a lot of housewife as poems that are persona poems too. So basically my obsession, I think for Swan Wife was trying to define myself within this tradition, which is kind of a shared cultural ideology going back thousands of years with all its baggage and stereotypes and everything that comes along with that, um, looking at every part of, of marriage. And then of course, Swan Wife is a nod to the fairy tale of the crane wife, which is, or all those other kind of animal stories where a woman takes off her, her animal outfit and the man kind of steals it. And so she's this wild thing that's, that's suddenly tamed. By this man. Um, so I thought maybe I'd read the poem Ball and Chain mm -hmm. that I talked about from, from Swan Wife, just to give you kind of an example of that. Um, and this has swans in it too. So this is called Ball and Chain. At Michael's in the aisle where they sell cake toppers, there's a whole section of tiny porcelain figures. And in each of them, the husband is attempting escape. He's running away and the bride has her hands on his shoulders or the tail of his tuxedo. She's holding him by the shoe. Her father is there with his big gun to the temple of the groom who is casting a glance to the back door of whatever church they're in, past whatever altar. My mother holds one out to me, says, look, wouldn't this be cute? Remember in college when we sat together by that lake that was so dirty, no one, no matter how wasted, would ever swim. And I dipped my toes in and you called me swan. You said, you'll go where you want. It was maybe then I knew you saw me, how I wanted to fly or float to cover, how even a mute swan will hiss and attack if you get too close, how you called me beautiful then, so beautiful and so loud, the way I'd hoot up to the stars, the way I showed my teeth. We curved our necks in to make that symbol, which comes from the swans, the way they bow, the way they sound, the way a heart can be made from two bodies, the way the honeycomb of my wing was built for yours. And I say to my mother, if anyone's running, it is me, but I won't because it's you, because you're building me a nest on the bank of my childhood, one where I can sit and watch each day break slow, little signets aglow in early dawn. Thank you. One so other thing with that, that kind of shows it too, every you in this book, and I was thinking about that with you, Pauletta, when you were saying how you changed some things so that they all kind of went, you made it an, a mode of address. I changed every you in Swan Wife so that it would all be to my husband so that mm. there was kind of an intimacy, no mm -hmm. matter where I went in persona and no matter how far I went into history, that you was always still kind of grounded in yeah. him. So yeah, yeah, that'd yeah. Be, and, and then, I guess in Hillbilly Madonna, sorry, it was a passion. I, was, I, was just, I, I want you to go on, but I just want to say that that is such an excellent point as well, because that in when I'm working with students, uh, with poets around manuscripts, this idea of direct address, you know, first person, third person, second person, a direct address is always so complicated because it, it isn't necessarily when you're writing a poem, but when you're writing a book of poems, it becomes a much more complicated question. So thank you for bringing that up. And I'm sorry to, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, no, yeah, it is complicated because 
you start to get like, where, well, who's the you, who's the I, what's happened. So I think a little bit of grounding really mm-hmm. does help the reader yeah. with the full length. Um, but yeah, with Hellbilly Madonna, I don't think it was as large as Swan Wife in some ways, but in some ways it was. Um, I traveled a lot for Hillbilly Madonna because it was a desire to, and a passion to explore my childhood parts of it that I didn't understand and the landscape of my father in particular. Um, so he lived, he relocated to kind of inner city Columbus, just, you know, still impoverished, but he came from sort of the foothills of Ohio Appalachia. And we, I spent my summers in, in Tar Hollow State Park and in, in the woods. Um, and so I, I wanted to go back to all the places that I remembered of my childhood and explore mm-hmm. the landscape in order to understand, you know, my father and masculinity and where I came from and what I left behind, all of those things. So yeah. that was my obsession with that. Book. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of your obsessions really came by following the following the poems to the next place. Is that is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Just just following the each poem. Yeah. So Manuel, how about you? What do you do you resonate with this idea of obsessions at all? Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I think that the obsessions also travel like we can see it very clear in the case of Sarah, but I think that we can see it in in, in every uh, serious writer that uh, obsessions migrate from book to book mm-hmm. and they stay with us for for all our life. Um, mm-hmm. I have been reading I have been writing about time mm-hmm. and about that, that the Latins called um, tempus fugit, this, this idea that everything will fade away, the idea that everything is passing, you know, the parting present. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, in, in all of my books, there is this, this obsession of um, keeping in the book something that I know that in life fade away. Mm-hmm. Um, um, actually, that is, that is, that is, why I wrote this book in particular. You know, mm-hmm. I saw the childhood of my daughter and I wanted to encapsulate it there so I can go back and visit it later. And the same is with the memory of my grandmother. I, I, I have these obsessions with uh, death, time, desire, music, silence, mm-hmm. uh, poems about poetry itself. Um, and, and that is something that, that shows up disguised in many ways, but it's always that in all of my books. I am, I am constantly going back to, to the idea of death and the idea of time and writing. Um, and when, when, when I'm working in the poem, the most important thing for me is the sound. I write a lot with my ears. I depend a lot of reading out loud to myself and a lot of a lot of my decisions are musical decisions, um, and then they start being a more semantic decisions later on in the process of making the book yeah. as a book. When I go back and I start putting those things together and see how how the how how the book works um, as an organism, um, where each poem has is it, a different cell. A organ, you know, or or a different instrument in the in a larger orchestra, and um, then I start making other kinds of changes. But a lot of the sequencing of the poems, in my case, is a lot uh, 
a musical sequence too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like I try to have, because there are poems that are faster. There are poems that are slower. There are poems uh, that are shorter, others that are longer. There are poems that, that allow a different kind of breath. And I want, uh, I want that uh, sort of, 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 of uh, melodic um, narrative in, in the book. Sometimes I read my poems out loud to myself without saying the words. I am just doing la, 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 la. And I am listening where the accents are, how it sounds. I'm listening to the music. And I want this kind of music followed by this one, then followed by this one. I, I, I care about how it goes. I, I depend a lot of my ear. Yeah. So Manuel, I, I want to make sure you read us read us a po another poem too, so we can hear it. But before that, I just have this question of how does that change or does it change when you then translate the poems from Spanish you know, that was into the question English? That was coming. Yeah. Yes, it, it it does change. It does change, um, but to my surprise, it does not change as much as I thought. Mm -hmm. um, especially because translating my own poems, because I am my own translator, um, has become part of my editing process. Uh, sometimes when, when I, and, and I see a big change in my poetry before I started being my own translator and after. Mm -hmm. um, I used to be a more rhetorical language poet. Mm -hmm. I, I, I will fall in love with certain words and repeat them again and again and make these word games in my poems. And then when, when, when translating them, they wouldn't make sense because they were, the sound was lost. So my poems, when I started translating uh, myself, I, I discovered that I could be a much more frugal Mm -hmm. uh, with my words, I discovered mm -hmm. that I could be sharper in the images and focusing more in what I was meaning. So my poems became shorter. My poems became, I believe, clear. Um, I became a different kind of poet. Mm -hmm. um, and now, oftentimes, when I'm translating myself into English, I like what is happening in English, and I go back to Spanish and change the original. Mm -hmm. And in that process, I have to start singing again to my ear to make sure that I can that I can translate the the, the music. Yeah. Um, I am not trying to imitate what the music from one language to the other, mm -hmm. but I am trying to make both poems musical. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I want to think that the poems in English also have or, or also can be read, read out loud with some sort of musicality. And they can. I will say that as your reader and, and, and as your listener, they, they definitely can. That I, of course, can own, I can only hear the music in, when you read in Spanish. But when you read in English, I do hear the music as well as, 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 well as, as. That makes me feel really good, Polera, because that is, the, that is, that is the, the I'm, I'm always worried of the English translation because yeah. I, I don't even know if I have the, the right ear. Mm -hmm. in English, if, if, mm -hmm. if I may say yeah. so. Well, and that, and that, and that's, you know, I think that's, that is very, very interesting for me to hear because the ear is certainly um, one of the things that I'm really aware of in your poetry, the music. So will you read us a poem, perhaps about yes. time if you choose, but really anything you choose is fine. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to read a poem. Um, where I talk about poetry 
itself. Mm -hmm. um, and there are trees and nature. And this idea, this, this kind of poem is a poem that I think somewhere has the idea of time. In this case, is the, the time that stays in the poem mm -hmm. that is permanent there. It's called clarification. Clarification. It is a lie that trees do not know the world. A tree travels by virtue of its birds, and it also travels inward when sinking its roots. It all makes sense. Nothing is more fixed to the earth than a tree. Nothing moves more to the earth than a bird. It is a fruit that flies. And poetry is the fact that they need each other. Mm. Aclaración. Es mentira que los árboles desconocen el mundo. Un árbol viaja por medio de sus pájaros y también viaja hacia adentro al hundir sus raíces. Todo tiene sentido. Nada está más fijo en la tierra que un árbol. Nada se mueve más en el aire que un pájaro. Es un fruto que vuela. Y la poesía es el hecho de que se necesite. Thank you, Manuel. Yeah. So I, um, you know, the only thing that I will, will chime in here in terms of, of the obsessions is, I guess, in a way, perhaps uh, echoing both, both Sarah and Manuel about how obsessions can come from the poems, uh, the writing of the poems themselves. And I, have, I stumbled across a new obsession in the making of the heartbreak tree, and that is my maternal line, um, which has been traced back to Jamestown and the Tobacco Brides, uh, women whose passage to the so-called new world was paid in tobacco leaves by men looking for brides, um, not paid to the women. I will I will add that, but to uh, to the uh, the ship owners or the the folks who are were paying for the for transit. Uh, so I'm going to read a sh a really short poem that doesn't take the line back quite that far, but touches upon the lineage. These stories I tell you now. Ebesine carried, Elizabeth carried, Eveline carried, Sarah carried, Etta carried, Larnie carried, Pauletta carried, carried. Reader, breathe these lines as I breathe now. Stop here where my hand stays. Begin again, release of words my breath into yours carry me it's such a great ending for that poem say carry me mm. with both meanings of that yes that both possible meanings it's very you arrived to that or, or did you have did. that at the beginning of the poem no no i i i arrived to that with that with that litany of names which actually came from is, is also included in another poem within Heartbreak Tree, but the idea that as, a, as an older woman who does not have children of her own, that, um, that this carrying will hopefully happen then from the generations that come after me, as opposed from my own carrying of, a, of an actual young woman into the next, into the next generation. 
But I think, you know, I, I think in a way, perhaps that's what we all hope with our with our work that we are, we are carried, um, our words are carried within others. Yes. We have so much we could talk about, but we are coming to the end of time. And so I want to ask each of you the question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what are you reading? And Manuel, would you be willing to start us off with that? Yes. Well, I am reading right now a Venezuelan poet um, who is also, this is a very interesting man, Armando Rojas Guardia. Uh, Armando Rojas Guardia is, uh, I am interested in religious poets uh, like Thomas Merton uh, or Ernesto Cardenal. And Armando Rojas Guardia was also, during a moment of his life, he was also a priest. And then he was not anymore. And he wrote these essays. And he was also a gay man um, that wrestled with this identity and his Catholicism. And and he wrote this, this very beautiful, semi-mystical, but also very erotic poetry. And, and I am interested in poets that, that have that uh, deal with, with transcendence. So I am reading a couple of books from him. One is a book of poems and one is a book of essays. One is called, the book of essays is called uh, Vivir Poeticamente, like living poetically. And he will say that, that living as a poet is a way to be in tune with transcendence. And he will write essays about it. And then the other book is, is just um, uh, an anthology of his poetry where he deals with, with, with all of this. Yeah. And those are the books that I am right now in a, a little novel by Milan Kundera, who is a, a, a novelist that I enjoy a lot. Great, thank you. Those are great suggestions. Sarah, how about you? I think it's funny that both the books kind of what we're reading and go along with what we talked about with our obsessions. Um, Cause I, I recently, the best, my favorite books that I've read this month are Claudia Emerson's late wife, which won the Pulitzer in 2006 and is about you know marriage and then also kind of finding marriage later and then also Nancy Reddy's Pocket Universe which came out very recently um, which is about childbirth and and becoming a mother mm -hmm. and um, but I'm right in the middle of Sarah Ryan's I Thought There Would Be More Wolves which is an excellent book that has a lot of uh, fairy tale -y, wolf -y type things in it they're all excellent those are those that sounds great as well and i'll just i'll say that among the things that i am having the pleasure of reading these days are are sarah moore wagner's book tumbling after and manuel Iris's book the parting present which i know are available at the library and i hope i hope that other readers will will grab those books as well so we are at the end of our time together that's it for this episode of inside the writer's head Keep joining us for in-depth conversations with writers and other lovers of books, journalism, libraries, and the literary arts. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer in Residence program. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writer in residence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes and leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you.